Hello and welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, but only for a few more days. And I think probably by the time you're listening to this, I'll have all oh, maybe one, two days left in the post because this is going to be my last episode of Pod's Own Country because I'm moving on to Passages Do. And I've got Rob with me as well. Rob, how are you doing? I'm I'm, I'm bearing up, Jerry. I'm, I'm, I'm the tears. You can't see the tears because it's, because uh, it's, it's audio. But it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's the end of a glorious era. And you hold them together. A glorious partnership between you and I covering <laughs> politics in Yorkshire. A dream team, if you will. Some might say. Some might say that. Yes. So yes. I would, I would say less, uh, <laughs> less complimentary things. But we'll. Uh, it's, it's, we'll it's not for us to say whether we're a dream team or not. We'll leave that to leave that to other people we'll to, leave that to, to say the that. history books. Yes. So. I am off as of um, Sunday, so uh, my last job at the Yorkshire Post is going to be the declaration for West Yorkshire Mayor. Now, we're not be able to talk too much about local elections, are we, Rob? Because the, the kind of counts and stuff are spread out over a few days. Yeah, normally uh, local elections, you would they would all the counting would all take place on Thursday night or Friday morning, and then by the close of play on Friday, you generally know pretty much who was uh who, what all the results were but because of uh covid and you know the impact that that has had on the counting and sort of registration process it's all being spread out a lot over the weekend so as you said you've got the west yorkshire mayoral results on the sunday that's probably one of the big ones for us um obviously elections in scotland and wales as well we've got local elections in many different parts of uh, Yorkshire Police and Crime Commissioner elections, one of which is on the Monday, the result. Uh, and also, uh, quite interestingly, the uh, results of the referendum into how Sheffield City Council is going to be governed, whether it's going to be a the existing leader and cabinet model or a uh, modern committee system, which uh, is, is also quite interesting, I think. Yeah, it definitely is, definitely to people like us anyway. And it's, uh, it's I think it's quite poignant that one of my last... Uh, jobs here is going to be devolution based it feels like that's uh, the majority of what i've written about for the last oh are we on 18 months getting on for two years 20 months i think oh. it's uh you're, you're a veteran by the standards of yorkshire post westminster correspondence but uh i well it may be you continue to write about devolution in your next job but i have a feeling other media outlets are not quite as interested in it as the yorkshire post which is you know, their, their their mistake, to be honest, rather than rather than ours. But it's because it's it is uh, a big issue. But I mean, it's 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 been a, a great twenty months for, uh, for well for us have, have, having you here. I mean, what could, what 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 have been some of your some of your highlights? If you uh, if if you can think of any of the the last the last year and a bit you've been here. God, that's a question, isn't it? Um, well, it's been quite quite a weird twenty months in politics, really, isn't it? I think when I started. Um, we went straight into party conference season and uh, you, you and I kind of uh, were hunched over our laptops when we kind of trying to file stories from various places with bad reception um, <laughs> at party conferences. And then Parliament was prorogued and then it was rapidly unprorogued whilst I was at Labour conference. So I rushed back to London for that. And then there was a general election and then Brexit kind of happened and then we were straight into COVID. So it's been a you know, a quiet run, maybe. <laughs> so let's try and think of some of the ones I remember. I think, I think early on we had that story of uh, Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson's ancestors living next door to each other in a in a Yorkshire village. 
That was a yeah, good one. That, that is a classic story. I don't think you're going to get a better politics story than that while you're, <laughs> that, while, while you're here. That was a good one. Um, I've chased uh, former Sheffield Hallam MP Jared Amara around the parliamentary estate. That was a that was great fun as well. Um, and obviously, represent the YP on kind of the you know coronavirus briefings and stuff like that, which I think it was great to you know have us on. So yeah, I mean, it's a it's a bit of sweet bit of sweet moment really. Yeah, it is. Well, you, you, um, you, you'll you'll go far in your career. I hope you don't mind me saying this. And while we're while we're on the podcast, it's been wonderful, wonderful working with you. And uh, yeah, all I can say is I wish you all the very best in in your in your career to come. Oh, thank you. But of course, one of the crown and glories has been launching Pods and Country, which listeners will be thrilled to hear. I'm sure you are going to carry on once I'm done. I am. That is that is the plan. I've already got guests teed up for the next uh, couple of weeks, and um, yeah, I, it, it's been such a a big success and so well received that I feel it would be a bit of a, a crying shame if we allowed it to uh, wither on the vine once once you leave. So I'm going to carry it on, and um, once we have a new Westminster correspondent, uh, they will be involved as well. So we will continue coming out. I hope every uh, once a week with uh, you know the latest political news and uh, analysis from from our region i suppose i better subscribe then in that case <laughs> i think you should and le- 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 leave a review as well <laughs> i will and i'll tell my friends um pods and country was actually listed in um ian dale's top 50 political podcasts in the last week which is really exciting so yeah absolutely a great base to carry on from hopefully um look let's stop prattling on about kind of parish news shall we and have a chat about what's going on in the world we we're just saying there that we do a lot on devolution and part of that is this kind of levelling up agenda and I feel like I've, uh, I'm never going to tire of hearing the words levelling up, I'm sure. And this week, um, the Prime Minister has appointed a new levelling up advisor in MP Neil O'Brien and um, I mean, what we're... It was December 2019, the election, when we first started hearing this phrase and I think the worry seems to be is that no meat has been put on the bones. I mean, how long have we been saying this for? Uh, well, I mean, it's well certainly during the pandemic that you know that there needs to be uh, more of an actual uh, yeah, policy focus on 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 leveling up, and like even prior to that, it was I think seen by a lot of people as just a sort of election winning slogan that didn't have uh, much intellectual sort of rigor rigor behind it. Which I guess uh, you know now that we're hopefully on coming out the other side of the. The pandemic and the uh, prime minister, I imagine, is also acutely aware of the fact that there aren't too many sort of tangible achievements that he can pin to levelling up thus far. I mean, obviously, he can talk about you know the treasury moving to Darlington and free ports and that kind of thing, but in terms of achievements that actually mean things to people that he can he can put on an election brochure, uh, I think they're a bit in short supply so that's why he's got uh he, he's it's been announced today neil o'brien who's a backbench conservative mp originally from uh, he was born in uh, born in west yorkshire so he's well known to us but he's uh, an mp now for harborough in in, in leicester and he's um he, yeah in, in terms of policy circles he's quite a well-known figure because he is behind the uh, onward think tank which is quite influential in conservative circles and they've done quite a few interesting publications and uh, I think his appointment has been widely welcomed today as someone who can sort of um, you know put a bit of like you say put a bit of meat on the uh, on on the bones of what's quite a vague agenda at the moment. Mm, It's quite interesting number 10 was asked um, 
you know, in the in the briefings that I'm usually part of, what metrics we could measure leveling up by, and there still aren't any. Um, but there is going to be this leveling up white paper, which seems to be replacing the kind of long-awaited um, devolution white paper that we've been uh, asking for for a long time. And uh, it was kind of hinted there might be some metrics that can be measured at measured against um in there but we'll we'll have to wait and see until after the queen's speech now i imagine which um which isn't too far off but uh it feels like we've been waiting for quite a long time so i'm sure we can wait a little bit longer and this kind of builds all on this uh delivery unit that number 10 announced a couple of weeks ago now to kind of push policy through the idea behind that really is there's a bit of a worry that there haven't been too many achievements to be able to point to and you know some of that is due to the pandemic there's there's not masses you can do whilst a global pandemic is kind of you know ravaging the country and the world i appreciate that but it does feel like as we get more and more towards 2024 or you know earlier i was speaking to um shadow environment secretary luke pollard a few days ago who said he is actually expecting an election in 2023 um as we get closer the government's going to want to have things they can point to to say look this is what leveling up actually is um you know whether they can achieve that or not is is another matter but voters aren't stupid and i i do think they'll be you know thinking has my life actually improved since this last election where i was promised that things would get better um so it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one i mean i i don't know how much you think that this leveling up agenda plays out in the local elections it's something that people have asked me in the last few days um i'm not really sure still people are kind of engaged in it are you no, I mean, I think for all that we talk about it, and it, obviously we talk about it a lot because it's, uh, you know, a big political sort of a debating point, I think I wouldn't say it's uh, achieved uh, the uh, cut through, or the, the phrase they always use, uh, the pundits to talk about whether an issue's being discussed uh, by the voters or not. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think people would be discussing it in pubs if they were there or outside outside of pubs. It's, uh, it's, it's a, quite a, an abstract concept uh, at the moment. But I mean, the obviously there's a leveling up fund mm. uh, which um, local authorities are being invited to to bid for uh, at the moment, and that you know has some controversy attached to it uh, of its own right because of the the uh, the criteria for which certain local authorities are were, were getting priority for this fund. But it is supposed to be quite a short term fund, sort of targeting uh, infrastructure improvement sort of short-term infrastructure improvement so we, we may start seeing the fruits of that in you know no, new, new road links and uh you know other, other types of infrastructure in the in the next couple of years just conveniently in time for the the next uh, the next general election whatever that might be <laughs> funny that absolutely funny that um rob you've gone you've done the main interview today who have you got on uh, it's, it's a really interesting one, actually. Um, so it's a, a fellow podcaster, uh, at least partly. Her name is Miranda Duffy. She is a University of Leeds academic and she's a, uh, a mother of young children who has a uh, she, she's particularly interested in how to get uh, young people to engage uh, in politics. And she, she uses uh, theatre to do that obviously uh, with the pandemic at the moment it's a bit difficult to use a theater to do anything but she uh, as well as that she has a uh, a podcast called den of inquiry where she and her two children aged nine and eleven uh, discuss uh democracy and politics and all, all these other kind of things it's uh it, it's a very interesting 
listen and it's uh, for people with young children like me who think uh, who, who in the future may want to talk to our kids about politics and get them to understand some of the things that they're seeing or reading on the news it's an interesting one to, to, to sort of hear from her about how she does that oh cool well I, I think it's really important actually that we get young people engaged in politics so let's have a listen to what she has to say Miranda Duffy is a PhD student at the University of Leeds whose doctorate study is about how we can engage young people with current affairs when many consider politics to be a dirty word. A former marketing specialist who has retrained as a theatre maker, she's specifically looking at using theatre to find new ways of engaging young people with politics. Now, one of the particularly interesting ways Miranda is doing this is her podcast, Den of Inquiry, which she records under her kitchen table with her two young children and their dog and is aimed at uh, nine uh, children aged nine and above and their parents or carers uh, on politics and democracy. So I think this is a great opportunity, actually, to reflect a bit on how we can encourage our children, and I'm a father of two very young kids myself, to think more about the decisions being made by our politicians and the very uh, values that underpin those decisions. So, Miranda, it's, it's lovely to have you on. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. No problem at all. So, um, firstly, I should say I'm a big fan of the name Den of Inquiry. I think uh, n- I think naming your podcast after a, a well-known phrase that you've changed uh, changed slightly is a very <laughs> a, very strong approach, which I would advocate. Um, so, can you can you tell us a bit more about how how it came about and the, the idea behind it? It, it? Part of it was just having fun. This is the way that I talk to my kids. We use a poem, we use rhymes. It's it's a part of our daily life. But specifically what we did was, my research is based on using the arts and it's a process called arts integration. And I use theatre, live theatre, when the theatres are open and theatre techniques and also performance-based poetry as a way of starting conversations with kids. So it was quite a natural thing when the theatres were closed and when I couldn't do my practical field work to start working from home with my own children and saying, let's try this, let's experiment with a poem to see if it can help us explore some of our issues that we're, t- you know, about democracy. Yeah, absolutely. And you, uh, I mean, I've, I was listening to some of the episodes and they're, they're, they're great. You, you use poetry a lot, as you say, yeah. uh, in, in the episodes I hear you quite often read out a piece of your own poetry and you and your, your mm. children discuss it. I mean, is that quite an effective tool for sort of getting them to think a bit differently about uh, different ideas yes I mean this is something which is is very organic so we use poetry because it's less threatening use rhymes because they have a musical you know musicality a musical sense to them and it breaks down barriers so when we're talking about democracy it sounds overwhelming at times. It's quite an intimidating topic. I mean, where do you start? This is part of the problem that we have with trying to engage adults with democracy. It's it's just that point of where is the access? The words are overwhelming. It it sounds, feels so cantankerous. So talking to children has to remove some of the heat and make it just more engaging and, and simply more fun. So poetry can be a really good way, an encouraging way of saying to kids, think about it. Just let's talk about why do we need a government and why? Because if we don't have one, it all ends up in a big bun fight. And so those are the kind of ways that we discuss it, you know, is is to say, 
Well, imagine if there was anarchy. That's too big for a nine-year-old. But to say, okay, so we have one bun. We have both of you under this kitchen table, which is our den. Who'd like it? And the answer is both of them. And you have to think, well, how are we going to do this? And what kind of rules are in place to make it fair, to make it acceptable? And that is our intro point. Um, but it's not its not something that you can sit down as you would do a PowerPoint. It's not a traditional lesson. It is something that is building up a conversation. It's building up a level of engagement, which is why it's quite, you know, which is why the entertainment factor is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it, it's the task of a uh finding something that's within uh, young children's sort of field of uh, of experience, something they know about and, and choosing a way of uh, being able to extrapolate out to like a wider, more abstract concept. So like you're talking about the, the big, the big bun fight, like I guess most children can identify with, uh, uh, with that kind of situation, but get, <laughs> get, get, getting them to yeah. then think, think about how that relates to the, the wider, the wider world. That's quite, that's, you know, that's, that, that, that worked really well. I thought that, that particular bit. Thanks. I mean, I think that children do a lot of politics without knowing it. And we all do. It's about, as you said, making decisions. So, for example, my theatre show, which we put on two years ago, is called Rocks, Paper and the Scissors. And it's about democracy. But it was inspired when I saw my children playing rock, paper, scissors. It's a way of making decision. And the argument they were having was probably about front seat of the car. It was probably about the first turn on the iPad. But the important thing was embodied knowledge. So there were three things that they didn't know that they were doing. They knew what the rules were. They accepted the rules as being fair. And we all knew that if they didn't respect the outcome, there would be a consequence. And this isn't so, if extrapolated, it's not so very different from the principles of a rules-based order. So it's trying to connect with what children's lives are about and also very much an innate sense of justice. You know, it's not fair. How many kids have ever said that? I mean, all of them. But their idea of fairness changes depending on whether or not they want that bun or whether or not somebody else has got a bun and they want a bit of it. So they're actually thinking about distribution. They're thinking about um, whose turn it is. They're thinking about inclusion and alternating participating but they don't necessarily recognise the terms that they are using in the debate that they're in as being political. Yeah, absolutely. And um, like I say, I was listening to some of the uh, episodes and your, your kids are obviously very bright and they, they engage very enthusiastically with the topics that you you set. And uh, like you say, it's things like uh, why do governments exist, the importance of symbols like Big Ben and the, the Capitol building in the US, uh, individual liberty during the pandemic. And um, because of the age of your children who are nine and 11, 11 I think. Yes. Did, did, did you have to think quite carefully about which topics you discuss and how you how you approach them? Yes, I mean, they have to be interesting and they have to be engaging and they have to be relevant and fun. And if it's, you know, not those, then I have to really think about whether or not it'll work. And the good thing about using my own children in this way is because I can, to some degree, preempt their response. I will know immediately when I have lost the nincompoops attention, for example. And then when it's too, if it's too complicated, 
But this is where, of course, you know, having Carrot, who's 11, can pick up the mantle and explore bigger and deeper questions. And this very much feeds into my research, because what I'm doing effectively is just testing the boundaries of what could work and outside research environment. But what is it that children want to know and how far can I test using sort of poetry or performance based work? drama techniques in order to engage them with bigger things. So it has been a great way at home during the pandemic of just trying out a few creative research methods, but in a live environment, which is what, of course, we've been missing in the last year or so. Yes, absolutely. And so it's part of a, uh, obviously, your, your PhD uh, doctorate study. So presumably the, 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 the results of it will be published in you hope in academic journals and so forth going going forward and people can uh you know might, they might be useful for people when they're thinking about these topics in in future yeah so i'm part of the university of leeds police department and um supported by the education department's center for democratic engagement and there's a lot of work is being done there on how we how we engage people citizens with democracy so it's it's a it's a large research centre in this area and it's fascinating the work they do and this is this is why I feed into their work there so it's very much looking at trying to engage people and taking out the negativity trying to give younger people a sense of agency and supporting political literacy work so it doesn't have to be about almost bashing people with political a sense of the political. It has to be about giving people, young people, sorry, uh, critical thinking skills and confident questioning skills. So this is very much about, and that's the way we access political literacy later on through education, for example, is having the ability to think about it, to ask questions, to voice those questions in a way that you feel confident about and this is you know there's a lot of work at the moment done being done in fact by the APBGs on political literacy and oracy in terms of recognizing these skills are are part of a wider political political literacy and sort of citizen citizenship education brief because this is what we need for democracy this is what young people need is is to have not just the knowledge and the skills about what democracy is what our system does who our politicians are but the confidence also in order to use them and it's pre starting that conversation and trying to give them a bit of access that the arts is so good at doing you know because it can unite it can signify it can inspire and it just takes the pee out of the politics yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, is it quite refreshing to discuss politics with young children? I, I, I ask that because usually, and particularly in my job, when you speak to adults about politics or many adults, the people will roll their eyes and say, oh, all, all the politicians are the same, or they'll be quite jaded and cynical about the whole enterprise. But I mean, I guess that's not not the case with children aged nine and 11. I think there is a difference between democracy and politics. And I think that's what we also have to teach children. There is a difference between the ideas, what democracy is, what is important to us, what is our freedom, what is our relationship between the state and us as individuals. We have to make a difference also then between those kind of ideas and the system, the process that supports this. And on top of that, to identify who the politicians of the day are, 
and how they are interacting with the system and those ideas. And then the top level of that, for example, are, are, are the issues that may come and go, or some, for example, like climate change, more uh, climate change may be more enduring. But I think we have to, again, look at a different way of saying, these are the ideas, this is the system, these are the politicians, and these are the current issues that they're exploring. And if you look at those, because it might be, for example, that the ideas are right, but the system needs reforming. It may be that the politicians need to be changed or need to be sort of held to account on certain of the issues. But if you take it as a blur, as a one, then that's, of course, when it does seem both overwhelming and at times, you know, a bit of a negative mess. And it's trying to inspire people to say, well, what is it? What is it that we want our young people to believe in? And what are they going to do about it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess the fact that you're trying to find new ways to engage children with democracy and politics perhaps implies that the, the way it's currently happening isn't isn't working perhaps as well as it should. Is, is there a bit of a gap as far as you can tell in the way that children learn about these topics in a more formal formal setting? I think that there are a number of gaps that have been well studied um, in citizenship education. So, for example, I believe that political literacy education needs to be part of the formal curriculum, certainly at secondary school, at high school. This is something that prepares all of us for participation in our democratic and our political system. But at the moment, it's not taught in every school. It's not taught by necessarily by specialist teachers. And, for example... British values have to be taught at primary school or promoted actively in primary school. This is democracy, rule of law, individual liberty, mutual respect and tolerance. But in our primary school, for example, there's classes sizes go up to 36. And I don't know how many primary school teachers really could look at a classroom of 36 and say, right, kids today, listen up, we're going to have a lesson on the rule of law. I, I mean, how do you do it? How do you inspire people to connect in a way that is exciting and is aspirational and motivational when actually sort of, again, we get very confused between the politics and perhaps the system or the ideas. So really, I think the gaps are, I do believe we need better political literacy education, certainly in high school, but I think the arts, for example, could be used at primary school level as a foundation as a way of starting the goodwill, as a bed of goodwill to open up a kind of conversation that could lead on to something more formal. It certainly does exist. I mean, there's some amazing resources out there already. Um, for example, you've got ACT, which is the Association of Citizenship Teachers. You've got Democracy Classroom, which is run by the Politics Project, which are trying to promote this kind of work within schools. And you've also got, um, for example, Shout Out UK, which is the Secretariat of the APBG on political literacy, all trying to push for more, um, more formal citizenship education and better curricular time. But until we have that, until we have more training, for example, those gaps are going to continue. Yeah. And I suppose the stakes are, are quite high, aren't they? Because, uh, you know, if the, the interest we have in making sure our children are, uh, uh, understand these issues is when they reach 18 and they can they can vote like the, yeah. the the level of understanding that exists amongst the electorate dictates how 
you know politicians engage with 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 the country and you know the messages they get mm. out during the election and so you know a, a better informed uh generation of young people will you know that could change the way that politics is done in years and generations down the line yes i mean it's interesting obviously to see how youth politics is changing at the moment and youth engagement but an engaged a healthy democracy needs an engaged electorate and we are seeing, obviously, um, age as a cohort and age cohort, sorry, as now affecting electoral results. So it's very much something that is being talked about, whether it's going to be, as I was in a seminar last night, about lowering the age of voting to 16. And it's a really exciting area of debate. And I understand the arguments about, so for example, that there might be a democratic deficit through age. But having said that, you know, education is always the answer. It is about how we build up a level of knowledge and skills and confidence and interest and relevance in, in order to for want people to actually want to participate in the political process itself. Yeah. Out of interest, what do, do you have a view on whether the voting age should be lowered to 16? I mean, you say there's pros and cons to it but it, uh, overall is that something you would you, you would say would be a good a good idea I feel that I'm open to the conversation I don't feel currently that I'm converted to thinking it's a good idea no no that's interesting what's what's the reason for that well on a number of levels um I, I well partly because I think that education isn't there yet I, I think firstly that <laughs> this is quite a personal thing for example I've I've got teenagers, so well, teenager and preteens, and you and I don't want them to go into a pub at sixteen and order a pint of beer or a glass of wine or have that freedom. So why would I then think that I could ask them to make a decision on who controls a nuclear button? It feels that we haven't quite worked out the trans transition between childhood and adulthood. And that's a real sticking point for me, because when I look at my kids and I trust them, but they're kids. And I don't know yet when I kind of feel that um, when do I think that they will be ready? When is society ready to say you are an adult? Because you can't marry, you can't join the army. And I know that until, without parental consent, for example, until you're 18. But the right to vote however imperfect our system might be or however flawed our politicians may appear at times, the right to vote is something in a, in a free, fair, frequent election is a privilege. And I think that we need to be treated at that and, and, and respected as that. And if we're saying, but you can vote and made this use decision, but not, uh, well, no, not whether or not you can have a glass of wine or you know, a pint of beer, there just seems to be a disconnect there that I'm not comfortable yet. But as I said, it's difficult now, obviously, with what's going on in Scotland and Wales and how the union now are setting different levels. So it may be that it's coming anyway. I don't know. As I said, open to the conversation, but <laughs> not quite there yet. Yeah, no, I understand that. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, if you think back to the the Brexit uh, debate and the, the the sense in which that uh, highlighted the disparities between different different age groups, and there was mm. a, the, it was constantly said, wasn't it, that uh, people who voted for Brexit were overwhelmingly uh, older, and people who who voted to remain were uh, overwhelmingly 
younger, but you know they didn't, and and the, the younger people would have to live with the, the the consequences of that. But which I guess is you know for some people an argument for uh for for lowering the voting age. But I suppose the same you know the same pros and cons still apply that you've just you just sort of set out. Quite yeah yeah. So um uh, I think this is a topic that a lot of parents uh wonder about and uh, what's the best way of getting children interested in in politics and how should they go about it so my children are uh, are only four and and two so i'm probably not not quite there there yet but do you have any tips for parents like me for when the time comes that you want to start sort of uh getting them engaged with with these kind of topics yes well i think i think a simple framework is always good so for example when you make decisions to say, how are we going to make this decision? This is a great decision we need to make and actually say, rather than just making it, and it could be, for example, hands up, it could be about whose turn it is, but explain the process. Another one we free, for example, in trying to explain what's going on is to use what, who, why, how. What was just said? Who said it? Why are they saying it? And how are they going to do it? And those are four simple steps that children can use just as a way of effectively looking at a decision or looking at a policy issue or looking at a problem and saying, great, so what's the solution? I think also familiarity with words is really important. So, for example, look at that. Look look at that. It's the House of Commons. You know, the sorry, House of Westminster, Palace of Westminster. Or who's that? Do you know who that is? That's the Prime Minister. And these words have a familiarity that again break down barriers. But I think most of all, most important thing that we can do as parents and guardians is to be prepared to feel confident ourselves in what we need to talk to our kids about. And that's to to engage ourselves with current affairs and to actually have some insight. So, for example, to distinguish fact from opinion. So I've actually got one of the pods podcast episodes is you know engaging preteens but you do hear for example the prime minister is either the worst prime minister or the best prime minister whatever your opinion is passed off as an opinion rather than a fact and we do have to have insight into the fact what is it we are saying and what is it we're passing on and when we are negative I think it's really important to balance it to say, well, what can we do it? And what are the examples? And in an ideal world, what would you want? And, you know, give kids a sense of agency. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Miranda, what, what can we expect to see from you uh, in, in the months ahead? You, have, you got, have you got plans to sort of uh, continue this, uh, continue what you're doing? Well, we're going to be, we're adapting the Den of Inquiry podcast to the stage. So it's going to be on at Brighton Fringe Festival, very soon, 29th of May and over half term. So we're going to put, uh, and sorry, we're going to put the oil shed and which is at the centre of Brighton. So that's going to be really fun. Um, It's going to last for an hour and it's going to use the rhythms and rhymes as a poetry whoosh, a crash bang wallop and and a poetry whoosh. And we're going to talk about the words we're going to use are going to be democratic. And we're going to talk about how we can start using games to kick off big conversations amazing well that sounds uh, that sounds excellent and your 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 children are excited about that i assume <laughs> they were when i said that i'd buy them a mcdonald's for breakfast every morning <laughs> <laughs> excellent glad to, glad to hear that 
it's yeah. not just me having to use a bribery to get my get you know, my kids. If, if that's what it works, we always do that. You know, there is a treat involved. I can't say I'm so smug that you know that uh, my kids just want to do this all the time. They're really interested, but it really helps. Yeah, that is reassuring. I have to. I have to say. Well, Miranda, <laughs> Miranda Duffy, it was great to speak to you, and uh, good luck with uh, continuing the podcast with your your, your doctorate and with uh, with the uh, the stage show uh, later this month. Um, Miranda Duffy, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I have been Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and you can find this podcast wherever you usually get your podcast, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Apple. Um, you can leave us a review. You can tell your friends. You can subscribe, of course. You can find me on Twitter at Jerry underscore E underscore L underscore Scott. And for the last time, it's been great speaking to you, and Rob will be back with you next week. <laughs>